Are mental health and planetary health different sides of the same coin? How do we bridge between individual action and systemic change? And what is the root of anxiety? Big questions that we're deep diving into with Christabel Reed, co-founder of the Systems Change Platform at VIA and co-founder of the Education for Action Platform Eco-Resolution with Cara Delevingne. In this episode, we discuss the crises of mental health, collective health, and environmental health, regeneration in all aspects of the word, collective listening, and imagination. It's time to live wide awake. Hey, it's Duff Dixon, and welcome to the podcast. Here, we get into the minds of some of the most conscious humans around the world to understand how our actions affect our mental well-being, happiness, and the planet. Because self and planetary healing is really an inside-out job. So let's unpack this human experience together so that we can live wide awake. Christabel Reed is the co-founder, along with her sister Ruby and Cara Delevingne, of the climate action platform EcoResolution and the systems change platform Advaya. With a mission to link inner transformation with social transformation, Christabel supports people to take action in order to transform the roots of injustice and suffering while co-creating cultures that center well-being and nature. Her master's in the traditions of yoga and meditation and training in yoga therapy has created a fascination in practices that create harmony where disharmony has occurred. We're going to be talking about some very interesting topics from anxiety to mental health and well-being to environmental health and how they're all connected. Great. Well, Christabel, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about you and your journey. And I actually thoroughly enjoyed researching more about all the initiatives that you're working on. So I'm excited to hear more from you today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. So tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you got started down on this path in the beginning. The way that I came to set up Advaya with my sister was very organic, also kind of almost a bit random. There wasn't like really a clear path leading up to that moment necessarily. But basically Advaya is this kind of transformative education platform. And we started it because we were both yoga teachers, meditation teachers living in London. And we were becoming like increasingly immersed in this kind of well-being world of London. But yet it felt so superficial because at the same time we were becoming much more aware of the ecological and social crises we were facing. So whilst being immersed in this like kind of mainstream well-being world of London, there was a real disconnect between like a deeper kind of I, I just say like more real holistic well-being and a kind of more individualistic well-being. I was reading a book by Satish Kumar called Autobiography of an Earth Pilgrim, which is an amazing book that I highly recommend. And that just shifted some things in my mind and the way that I was viewing things. So he says that the health of the individual and the health of the planet are two sides of the same coin. And, you know, just these beautiful the way that he writes was so beautiful and kind of was encapsulating what I was feeling but unable to articulate which I love when you find in a book that that gave the initiative to decide to kind of we didn't even decide to set up something in particular but we just thought we were looking around at our group of friends you know both you know we're sisters and 
we come from a privileged background and people around us have good education and, you know, aren't worried about food, water, shelter. And I was surprised by the fact that despite our shared privilege, we all would struggle with our own mental health issues and we were very disengaged with the world in a kind of creative solution oriented way and were very kind of you know we were watching TED talks in bed late at night about climate change this about six seven years ago and it wasn't in the mainstream at all like in the conversation in the mainstream didn't feel that way so we set about to start um organizing an event and we had like 200 people come in West London and had some amazing speakers and music and food and yoga meditation workshops with the idea that we can start to bridge these worlds one of the burnout activists and one is like the kind of navel gazing yoga bunny who's like <laughs> not not kind of putting into action the, the practices that they're being taught on a deeper level which was my view of things so yeah that's a bit of a rambling backstory to how Advaya came around but before that I was um I did a BA in history at university which I loved and then I went on to do an MA in the origins and philosophy sorry the origins and development of yoga meditation which I did for two years which I loved as well so I have a I love history and like understanding how it is that we are where we are now and seeing the way that like history has kind of created that pattern. Mm. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And there's a lot I want to dive into uh, with that. But I think we'll start with the mental health piece, especially after everything that we've been going through in the last 18 months. So I was, you know, doing my stalking and I saw on your Instagram that you shared that you actually have been challenged by anxiety since you were 12, which is something I can deeply relate to. So how has that journey evolved for you and how have you sort of learned to control your mind or support yourself through it? And I guess furthermore, how has that sort of been re-expressed or, or shown up in different ways during the last 18 months with the pandemic? Yeah, I remember my anxiety started almost as soon as I found out what the word anxiety meant. So I said, I asked my mom, I had that, so I was talking about anxiety and I said, what's that? And she said, you know, that feeling in your tummy, like you're on a roller coaster, you have butterflies in your tummy. And I think I already had that sensation in my body. And then I, then I became very aware of it. And yeah, I struggled with that throughout school, um, especially secondary school, really from about 14, having panic attacks, anxiety attacks having to see a counsellor about it. But it wasn't until after school that I was actually able to build a good relationship with my anxiety. And that was through yoga practice where I was able to meet my anxiety and breathe through the anxiety. And I'd have these like big kind of releases in my body as I was stretching out different parts of my spine where it would feel like it was seeping out and enveloping me but then if I was able to stay present with it the next day and the next days and weeks and months things my day-to-day anxiety would almost be non-existent so that experience made me realize that the reason why I couldn't really get to the bottom of it at school was because counselors were trying to attach it to story like you know, asking about my dad or, you know, family stuff. And um, and that made me, gave me a really like visceral awareness of the fact that so much of our emotions are locked in our body, not necessarily locked in our stories. And by kind of fixating on the story and on the past, you don't come back into connection with the body in a way that can actually release it of 
the pain or trauma that that's occurred. So from around like 1819, that really reduced massively through kind of dedicated yoga practice. But I found in the past 18 months that be really ignited again. Um, and I think there's many way, many reasons for that. One is that I've kind of thrown myself into work in a way that I've always been a bit of a workaholic, but like in a way that's a bit next level. <laughs> and I sometimes wonder whether I'm anxious because I work or whether I work because I'm anxious. So when I have that feeling, I've mm. in the lockdown, I found it really hard to actually make the space for myself to do my day to day practice. And I think a lot of it is like unconscious responses to fear and and kind of lockdown and restrictions and all these things where I'm like, I don't want to sit down and do a dedicated, committed, disciplined practice. I mean, I have been practicing and exercising, but like for me, to me, anxiety in a way that allows it to evolve or kind of express itself and then release, it has to be quite like a intense, specific, disciplined practice rather than like stretching and breathing, which is obviously wonderful, but I don't feel like it gets to the root of what I'm feeling at that moment. Does that answer your question? Sorry, I don't know if I off of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Because I think a lot of people have been going through, you know, a tough time. And I think just the uncertainty and the extended period that this pandemic is going on just really compounds. And I think for those that maybe suffered deeply from anxiety or depression beforehand, it, it just gets elevated to, to new levels potentially. And I think just being able to talk about it and to kind of normalize this and then help, you know, people to redirect and to sort of build stronger foundations again, is just like a really important conversation. So appreciate you sharing. I, I think the root of the anxiety is this feeling of not being whole, not being complete and never being good enough to, in your own expectations or society's expectations or anyone else's. And I think that feeling of incompleteness is what, in my experience, I think is at kind of the base level of anxiety. And then because then actions become rooted in the feeling of not not enough which I also see as a reflection of capitalism and growth-based economy and consumerism um, and all the narratives that have allowed that to be, or not allowed it, but that have created the context in which those are the systems that we're operating within. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and this brings us beautifully to the next part of how they are deeply connected. And, you know, I saw your, your part of your mission is to actually link this idea of inner transformation with social and ecological justice. And I read a quote that was shared, I think, on, on Avaya that said, the crisis burning around us are external expressions of our internal world. So I'd love for you to sort of elaborate a little bit more on, on your mission and that kind of view of this internal, external uh, world and connectivity that we have. I love this question. And it's such a big question. So I'm just trying to think where I enter into it from. I felt for many years that the way that we treat ourselves is a reflection of how we treat our environment. And that when we come to look at how we create change I like to look at how we relate to things because often it's like there's something wrong with me I need to change it or there's something wrong with the environment I need to change it or something wrong with you and I need to change you and actually when we come to look at relationship it can 
it can shift and it's much more empowering and nuanced and subtle where it's there is something in my relationship with myself which is causing pain and suffering that I need to address and to heal and suddenly it's not you like it's not you it's the way that you're relating it become it comes into action rather than into like sustained identity um so I find so 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 when we look at it through the perspective of relationship we can see that how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to the world around us are often very, very similar, rooted in the same experiences and past stories and, and, and past experiences and cultural narratives as well. So I see them greatly interlinked um, and at the heart of so, I think, the kind of, in my eyes, the reason for my suffering is from disconnection Disconnection and then power over paradigm, as Pat McCabe says. So we see everything is kind of individualistic and um, as separate. And then because of the way that our, I don't know why, but we, we, we're in this power over paradigm that if it's separate, one has to be the dominator, one has to be the submissive one. So we have like masculine and feminine, these like two kind of very polarized conceptions um, rather than perhaps being able to see it on a spectrum and as there being like equality throughout an integral place for, for each across that spectrum. But instead we flip it and everything becomes upside down and, 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 and then power over struggle. So, so yeah, so I, I see like that, that kind of separation as something massive. And I think that the disconnect that we have to ourselves, to like the deeper aspects of ourselves, the parts of ourselves that yearn for a kind of well-being that is so beyond the kind of well-being that culture tells us that we should be aspiring to connection to that part of ourselves through calming the mind and through you know whatever it is there's so many different ways like embodied and mindfulness practices to, to and, and outdoor practices and community practices to get to that place but then also like the kind of understanding about the human ecology and where the human is within the rest of the world and feeling a deep connection with that as well. And so, yeah, I, I kind of see that disconnect as being the root of so much of our mental health crisis and of the ecological crisis. And also this strange, like, like, I kind of want to say apathy or inability to cultivate the clarity so that we can see things for the reality in which they are and then understand that our, our power within that process to actually be able to affect change to reduce future suffering I see that as very interconnected also our inability to or lack of positive visioning of the future and understanding like like our potential within ourselves to be really happy and thriving beings and the potential of society be nature-centered thriving like you know full of freedom and justice but that the stories and our understandings of what's possible for us are very constricted I mean there's just so many different ways in which I see the ment mental health and ecological and, and social health being so interlinked and the last thing actually I'll say is that um you know just a very like obvious point that of course like mental health is a reflection of our collective health and our collective health is going to be a reflection of our ecological health and vice versa if you can't like the way I see the ecological crisis I see it as a kind of psychosis like there's like actually something there's a mental illness within a collective culture to to have been able to allow for the damage to have gone on for so long 
and for it to be so so bad we can't we can't aspire to being well if we're destroying the ecosystems which sustain us mm, wow so powerful especially that that last part i think it's uh really true and i've been reflecting about this a lot it's actually come up a lot recently on the podcast with different speakers around the fact that we have been disconnected from the fact that we are nature and we see ourselves as separate from the ecosystem and and all of the themes that you've just brought up so i guess where do we go from here you know i mean it's so ingrained in the system right now and so how can we even begin to look at solutions for this and how can we advance to reconnect again to nature and to see the oneness and not the separation in in your view i think one is knowing that it's possible um and cultivating space within yourself and within your community you know or even online community to to start to reimagine how the future could be and inviting people to see that it would be possible for us to live in a way both within ourselves and collectively that honors our interrelated existence that honors nature that reveres nature and that reveres kind of the spirit of community as well and and how and how beautiful and, and strong that can be then there's i think the like collective community care and community work community organizing is so so strong i mean so it's so important we often think about you know what can i do as an individual or what what's like where what can we do on the systems level but i think that the collective action is what bridges the individual to the systemic and i think that's really really important and that doesn't need to be lobbying or protesting or you know all these all direct action all really important of course but it can also be you know looking after your neighbor or volunteering at a food at a soup kitchen or you know like being engaged in your community like stepping out acting with care connecting with people smiling with people like building participatory democracy circles empowering each other to take bigger actions for bigger systemic change and then that was imagination collective care and then another one for me which was huge is having some kind of practice that allows you to see yourself as part of something bigger than yourself and that could be you know any word that that resonates with you for that and being able to reorientate ourselves in the morning and perhaps before bed back into that space because i think that we need the systemic change we need the collective like action but like also you know society is made up of individuals and if we can do the work the deeper work within each of us i think it's in there that we find the root of our cultural sufferings fear ego attachment desire anger you know yes there can be good places for these things but if all our actions are rooted in that space what we're going to be recreate like co-creating is going to be a reflection of that space rather than something else and i think that deeper work does come down to the individual sometimes um or part of it does and cultivating more clarity and 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 that kind of connected awareness and then actually that my fourth one will be um understanding the power of story and mythology and collective narratives i think we see 
culture in this like materialistic reductionist way, you know, all science driven and therefore we no longer have stories and we no longer have myths. But that's a very dangerous place to be because actually like culture abounds with stories. Stories so embedded that we don't even notice their stories anymore, such as, you know, the growth based economy, the idea that we're not whole, the idea the story of like polarization and opposition and 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 the import like you know and white supremacy is like a, this crazy myth as well you know that's obviously felt in reality but it but it all links back with these stories that people have been telling themselves for so long and that they don't notice their stories anymore and I think that's the incredible power of stories is to understand what is story and understand the importance of story but then also understand the ability to shift and change those stories and to not become so rigid. And to be allowed, like open ourselves up for change in, in that way, I think is huge. Mm. And so I guess on, on the story piece, just to clarify a little bit more. So could you just explain how you see that we can move out of those? You can like unpack it a bit. I think that would be helpful. Thanks. So like human culture has always had stories at the center. It's kind of like our stories which bind us together. There's a story of what it is to be English or British, you know, like it's kind of rooted in history and in culture, the things you're taught through your family, through advertising, you know, it's it's all building a particular a type of narrative. Or you have, for example, the story of the individual, you know, the materialist reductionist story, like we're all individuals. We all need to look after ourselves first and foremost our mental health is a reflection of our actions rather than anything external or anything collective. We need to continue to progress the way that progress comes is through competition, not cooperation. I see these as stories which start to become very embedded in us. Or you have the story, you know, we can take it down to something more personal, like the story that I'm not good enough, you know, and, and that certain people in your life or experiences in your life fed into that one narrative so that you stopped being able to see all the other stories that you could also be working with. And I think that's the other thing with stories that there will be a few which dominate. But if the effect of those stories cause suffering and pain and further disconnection, then there needs to be the opportunity to be aware that actually this is a story. This isn't necessarily the essence of existence so if it's not the essence of existence or of who I am or of like what our destiny is like how can we create not even create but how can we start to see what the other layers of reality are showing us or the other layers of our existence or of ourselves and what are those stories and becoming like susceptible and and open to that rather than being attached to these like very limiting narratives that we tell ourselves or that culture tells us Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really interesting. And I guess I've also been going through a lot of that. You know, I had a a narrative for a very long time, for example, that I had to struggle to be successful. And I feel like I've done, that's just one of the narratives that I've been working to uh, rework and and understand, but it's a lot of work, you know, it's a lot of work to unravel a lot of these preconditioned notions and the, even just if we look, you know, take it back to a sustainability example, the consumerist society that we live in, even decoupling and detaching from that a, a way of being brought up and and that experience it it it's a lot of work 
to detach. I think, you know, it's not easy for people to just turn around and all of a sudden not be consumers to the degree that they have been their entire lives. So I guess what I'm saying is at this stage where we're at right now, are you seeing that there is a lot of change in this space? Are you seeing, you know, that there are people doing the work on themselves and that's having the collective impact or do you think it's not happening enough? Because quite often I feel like we're actually in echo chambers and I I don't know how deep I'm in, you know, because then sometimes I, I speak to other friends and they're just not even close. They're not even started on their journeys. And then I'm like, wow, I'm like friends with these people you know, I hadn't seen them for years. And they're not even, not even close to beginning on, on that kind of experience. And then I just question like, okay, well, um, am I just living in this echo chamber and everything around me? I feel like it's shifting, but actually the greater world it's, yeah, it's going to take a really long time. So any thoughts on any of that? (laughs) I definitely feel the echo chamber. And I think that is, you know, social media and algorithms really read that obviously. The other thing is it to create change that goes beyond the surface is probably the hardest thing we can do. It's the hardest thing to do. You know, you see it in the personal healing journey of a person where they'll be having these big kind of spiritual experiences and spiritual processes, but they're often the result is a rearranging of the ornaments on the mantelpiece rather than actually a different mantelpiece. You know, like it's all like the trope changed, the day-to-day actions have changed, but the root of the actions, the general state of mind and perspective that hasn't shifted and that hasn't changed. So when we like, you know, look bigger in a collective sense, I feel that there is massive collective shifts happening and occurring that's like without a doubt that is happening but like I also think that must always be happening like change is like the like the essence of like material kind of material existence like everything is constantly changing and reforming and um, regenerating or decomposing so like change is always happening but I think it takes humans a long time to be able to really open themselves up to change and to because of like our attachment to things that make us feel safe so I think that when we think about like the ecological crisis I see a lot of change happening and a lot of people yearning for a world which is ecologically balanced and which is just and they're speaking out about it and they're taking action for it so like that is really huge but I also see the response to that as these kind of false solutions which are not getting to the root of the crisis and which just perpetuating the same old system so in that sense I also see a lack of real deep authentic change and I think in order to create the deeper changes that we really need to see in order to get to the root of the ecological and mental health and social justice crises we need to see a lot more collective action, community action in the grassroots level, in like the kind of small emergent ways, as well as in the big ways, because I think that's where people can start to experience the shift rather than desiring it in their heart or imagining it in their mind, you know, like it's in that work. So yeah, there's, I mean, 
I always find this kind of question hard when people ask because I think everything's always changing. I ha- feel very hopeful for the future. Also, there's fear there as well. But yeah, it's there's a lot of lot of progression and ev- evolution. Maybe it's a better word, but there's also a lot going in the opposite direction, and a lot looks like evolution and progression. And really, it's just like another name for the same thing. Mm. And so I guess on like a a bigger scale, then if we're looking at where we should be focused attention and how we really break through, if there was like, okay, are we focusing on regenerative? Because you talk a lot about regenerative everything actually in the work that you guys are doing. So what does that really look like in your view of where we should be focusing the time and energy as a collective on the things they're going to help to not only heal our mental health, but also start to heal the planet. So where do you see the solutions overlapping that will have the biggest impact? I think like the word regenerating I see is like life affirming or, or something that brings more life to that area. And like by life, I mean like freedom, joy, harmony. Like, so anything which brings, so like, you know, regenerative agriculture would be practices which regenerate the land rather than deplete the land. That's a big, that's a kind of a big word, I think, to keep bear in mind when we start different projects. Like, you know, is this going to be life affirming and bringing more joy and more life into this area? I think a big place where things overlap is with the collective imagination of what's possible. We need to break down I don't even know that's the right word the dystopian narratives if you ask a child how do you imagine the future in 20 years you're likely to get a pretty dystopian picture presented to you and I think that's a reflection of a much bigger collective imagination which is fueled by obviously terrible news polarizing media polarizing politics just so much such digital overwhelm we just become completely shut down like embedded ancestral trauma like all these all these things mean that our visions of the future can be so dystopian and and of course there is so much injustice occurring right now and if we continue as we're going that's like that could be the situation but I also believe that that like wow if we were all to take a step back imagine like your education imagine if politics imagine if culture of music of film invited people to imagine the world in the way that that like feels most life of like life affirming and regenerative to them like what would those cultures look like and the exciting thing is that it doesn't need to look like one culture or look like such like a, a huge diversity of culture in different ways that people understand what it is to be life affirming um, and nature centered so I think that's a really, really huge one because you can do that as individuals, you can do that as a collective and you can do that as like a huge society. Like what is the future that we want to work towards? And I get frustrated by politicians because I've never, I've never, never heard a politician talk about the future that they're working towards, towards co-creating. And and I think for that reason, you might, we don't want to rely on politics. Like they should be working for communities and communities should be the ones who are envisioning what their future is going to look like and what's the like what's the social space that they're creating for their children and their grand great 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 grandchildren and just to note a lot of my inspiration for imagination comes from rob hopkins 
and also Adrian Mary Brown's book, Octavia's Brood. Mm. Yeah, that's so many different directions I can go in after that. <laughs> um, I think one of them would be, you mentioned a few times, like this polarization and divisions. And I think we are living in a world, especially, you know, with social media, it's really amplified different camps that people are in and outrage and all this sort of, you know, keyboard warriors and everything. And so in a world that is really full of these divisions and polarizations, how can we actually unite people while honoring diversity? I think it's by cultivating spaces to actually listen to each other in like everything's become everyone's so fast to make a judgment because we're all consuming information at such a fast speed that we need to that we like naturally cast judgment as we're consuming information kind of thing as to whether it's something we want to learn more about whether we don't whether we agree with it whether we don't whether we like the person whether we don't whether that aligns with us or not like there's so many fast judgments occurring but we're like reading so much that our brains are so overwhelmed that we can't critically think or empathize with 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 you know if, if it's someone that we're not agreeing with and I think just being a bit trying to be a bit slower to create judgment and trying to become aware of ourselves when we want to cancel that person or, you know, when we wish bad things on that person or, you know, or on that group of people, whatever it is, you know, like in the UK, you know, if you take like Brexit as an example, it happened and suddenly everyone who had voted for Brexit was a racist. And it just meant that there was no space for a dialogue, a conversation around where do we go from here how can I listen to what you want and how can you listen to what I want and how can we figure out a way to move forwards together? And instead it was everyone's a racist. Everyone in the UK is a racist who voted for Brexit. Completely like not not able to understand those people's eyes. And then the opposition as well, like the, the, the two together, it was just, it's been like such a toxic, toxic like part of our history but I think you know to use it as an example like about the power of the collective imagination to be like okay this is fucking shit I'm sorry not good and like how can we move you know forwards together in a way that can 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 make both sides happy so I think that's a really big part of it is like the listening they're not grouping together under under one header you know we now have it as well anyone who wants to question the way in which governments and corporations have responded to the pandemic are then kind of associated with QAnon and I've had a lot of conversations with people and seeing them as they do this big jump and it's just incredible that that's possible that we put everyone into these camps and then it's either you agree with me or you don't and we're we're not going to get anywhere anywhere at all by doing that I think another big part is understanding that whilst systems affect people in an unfathomable the like diverse way you know some obviously so much more than others I do also believe that the systems of patriarchy capitalism oppression they racism they they're not serving anyone like they're not on a material plane they'll be serving an oppressor you know for accumulation of wealth but in like a spiritual way they can't be serving anyone 
And I think understanding, having the perspective of that, like those who are perpetrating suffering and oppression and violence are suffering themselves and understanding like the embedded trauma within that. So rather than it being a narrative of like, we then must fight back in order to, you know, suppress them or cause suffering to them. It's like, how can they be healed so that they can discontinue this pattern of destruction and violence and oppression in a way which also holds people accountable? And I don't know how necessarily how you do that, but I think that's something that I'd love to learn more about, about like conflict resolution and doing that in like a transformative way that's transforming the conditions that allow this the kind of injustices that we see today to be resolved in in the deepest of ways and I think that's what I keep coming back to really is like we need deeper responses to the crises of our time we need people to be thinking deeper I need to be thinking deeper acting deeper like resourcing myself in a deeper way Mm. That was really beautiful and very clear in my mind as well, you know, the explanation. And I think coming from a place of healing and not conflict creation, like, or further polarizing, or as you said, you know, suppressing the oppressed, uh, the oppressors, sorry. I think, yeah, that, that, that makes it quite clear in terms of focus, although it opens up an entire can of worms of questions on how that's possible. If I can just add as well, like, there's also, I just had this kind of projection in my head of like, I don't want it to sound like spiritually bypassing because I so don't mean that. Like I do mean like do do the deep work and see the reality and and like go like work through it in a social collective way. But yeah, but then like, but kind of working through that for something also. I think that there could be a lot of spiritual bypassing as well. And I wouldn't want anyone to think that I was suggesting that. <laughs> at all yeah no of course but I think yeah doing the healing work and and yeah it's just raised a lot of very interesting and I think it aligns with a lot of different practices as well around loving kindness which is something that I've been um, practicing a lot more in the last 12 months and just you know having a different perspective on even my own healing, but also the healing of others and and even just bringing it back to that like kind of individual space, but then also looking at that as a collective system space, I think is, is, is really fascinating. And so one of the things that I found quite interesting is, is you talked, you did a big event on regenerative activism. So what does that really mean? And how can we, I guess, building on what you've shared around this healing, sort of bring in that, that type of activism it can mean so many different things. And I think we've done, we've held, we've organized with the ULEX project that series for four years now. And it just gets deeper and deeper and bigger and bigger as a topic area, although it does sound pretty niche. Um, but I would understand regenerative activism to be an approach to change making, which allows the very act of change making to be creating deeper resources within ourselves. So rather than getting to a good place in yourself, feeling empowered and strong enough to go and take action, that action wearing you down, 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 until you have to stop what you're doing to go back and resource yourself. Like how can that process of action be resourcing resourcing you? How can that be your well-being practice? How can that be your spiritual practice of your meditative practice? 
so that's kind of what it what it means to me because you know there are so many amazing change makers like trailblazers but who burn out obviously there's so much burnout but it like it 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 needn't be that way well although i mean for some it <laughs> The, the, the places in which they are taking action, it's, I imagine it would be much harder to maintain a kind of regenerative approach, but there are ways in which we can do that. So yeah, the regenerative activism series kind of explores that. And we look at things, you know, from like identity politics, meditative practices, like global politics, global responses. Mm. Yeah, I think it's 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 really true. I've seen a lot of activists burn out or trying, you know, to not burn out, but still wanting to do the work or having to take breaks and, and everything. So I think it's a really interesting topic. And also, you know, with just the heaviness and uncertainty of, of the times we're living in, I think it just amplifies a lot of that. So now I've been seeing a lot more of, you know, activists saying things like rest is a form of resistance and, you know, there are ways to to do the work without burning ourselves out. And I think it's, it's really important and that kind of ties us back into mental health and looking after ourselves to continue doing the work. But also, yeah, I think, I don't know, do you think there's like a, a certain level of distance that needs to be created in that, in that work? I think that it, it comes in so many different forms like I don't think there's like you know in the same way there's not kind of one kind of spiritual practice or one well-being practice or one self-love practice or community care practice like it's so depends on the context for me the lessons taught through the Bhagavad Gita which kind of changed my life as a 22 year old when I was doing my MA and I did my thesis on the Bhagavad Gita and that teaches a type of spiritual activism that I mean that's the the language that I kind of would understand it in but an approach to change making or not even that let's say like action in the world where you through practices which create clarity in your mind you come to understand what your dharma your purpose is you know what are the skills and the gifts that I have in this world to offer the world but then when you engage and then and then the dharma is what is that is that your role within the world that creates more harmony that draws harmony out of disharmony order out of disorder that's the dharma it's you enacting your kind of your design and what you would how you how you've been designed but that when you are enacting in accordance with your dharma that you sacrifice the fruits of your actions to the greater good or to god and in so so basically you're acting with non-attachment to the fruits of your action and this came this book came after many other books teaching about the the height of spiritual practice within the vedas and and and, and in hindu texts before that and vedic texts was to that you reach spirit, spiritual enlightenment through internal practice through renouncing the world and going into the woods to, to meditate type of thing. So the Bhagavad Gita came and said, actually, no, you need to be acting in the world. And the way that you act in the world is your spiritual liberation. And to renounce the world, you are not taking part in your Dharma. You are not upholding the honor of being human being or the your sacred design. 
you're actually renouncing that part of yourself in order to go to, to, to meditate and seek spiritual liberation within you. So, I mean, that's in a nutshell. <laughs> There's a very <laughs> huge, huge, complex, it's not a huge book, actually, it's a very small chapter within a very big book, but it's very, very complex and very deep and could talk about it for days. But what I love about it is that you can enact your dharma, you can, you know, come to understand what your skills or gifts or whatever privileges or whatever they are in the world in order to to work with those. But that once you are working with them, don't become attached to the fruits of your actions. You know, you have your vision of what the future is, but but also don't be like so don't hold it so tightly that you're not able to also be in the present moment and that you burn yourself out. And I think every time that I'm starting to get overly stressed or overly worried or or you know anxious and burnt out and tired is because I'm like really gripping suddenly to an idea that I have rather than just doing the work that I know I need to do and continuing you know like I don't know if that makes sense but to me that's been a a, a huge huge kind of transformative shift. Mm, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. I think it's very clear and very relevant. <laughs> so how do you think that uh, we can live wide awake? Through cultivating the clarity within yourself in whatever way that is and the connection within yourself to understand that you have the power to create change that goes beyond the surface and that that can be in the smallest and grandest of ways. And I love Adrian Mary Brown's quote that what we do on a small scale sets the pattern for the whole system. I think for me, that's, you know, living wide awake and, and also as much as possible, taking whatever opportunity you might have in the day to fall a bit more in love with the world and with your ex embodied existence within that, whether it's taking a few breaths or looking at the clouds as they move across the sky or feeling your feet on the ground or becoming aware of the like kind of the complexity of your body and the spine and when you exhale the trees are inhaling like you know all these incredible aspects of our existence that we can be so cut off from so I think cultivating that enchanted approach to life the wonder of life and then meeting that with cultivating clarity in order for us to take actions that are based in a deeper response would be my wide awake. I love that so much. Enchanted view of life and falling more in love with the world. And yeah, I think that's absolutely beautiful. I think that's my favorite thing you said all throughout the whole podcast. <laughs> if you like that, then you read Sharon Blackie's book, The Enchanted Life. I think it's The Enchanted Life. She talks a lot about empowerment. She's been a huge influence to my sister and I. Yeah, beautiful. Definitely check it out. So how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to reach out or follow what you guys are up to? So we have Advaya, which is kind of holistic systems change platform. Um, we do courses, events, retreats, gatherings. And so that's advaya.co. Then there's Initiative Earth, which is a new ecosystem restoration charity that we set up that should be launching ideally later this year. But I kind of made that up. There's no necessary reason why it might be ready by then. But that's what I'm aiming for. And then part of Initiative Earth is Eco Resolution. So that's at my Eco Resolution on Instagram or ecoresolution.earth online. And that's like a kind of climate action platform exploring the links between individual, collective and systemic change. So, you know, through our websites or through social media, I'm always really happy to like chat with people. And then um, I'm Christabel Rose on Instagram. 
Amazing. Well, Christabel, thanks so much for joining us and for sharing. It was really enlightening speaking to you. Uh, so yeah, thanks for the time. Pleasure. Thanks, Steph. Three things I'm taking away from this conversation with Christabel. Firstly, collective action is the bridge between individual action and systemic change. Secondly, we need to cultivate a space for listening and harness more critical thinking, which can mean going a little bit slower and not being so quick to judge. And thirdly, let's take moments each day to fall more in love with the world and adopt an enchanted view of life. curious what did you think about the episode and what were your main takeaways is there a topic you want me to dive deeper into i'd love to hear from you you can find me at stephel dixon or at live wide awake if you got something out of the podcast and you want to continue this journey with us consider subscribing and supporting i hope that today's conversation stirred something deep within you ready to awaken and until next time live wide awake